And today's gonna be a little bit different. Like I said, I'm on video, um, and Tracy is going to come up and kind of facilitate. Maybe he's already done that a little bit before, but afterwards, we're gonna make sure we have enough time that you can talk about your neighboring sheets and maybe even talk about some of the things that you've done in your life group and the discussions you've had in there and how all of this is, is tying together on us being disciples who are making disciples. Ultimately, that's the goal. We wanna be people who are making the invisible people in our life, oftentimes our neighbors, we wanna make them visible again. We wanna take off our blinders and realize that there are people with souls and lives and, and doubts and questions and that we can, we can enter into relationships with them with the ultimate goal of sharing Jesus with them. And we're gonna talk a little about that, that goal and that motive. But, but first, I wanna remind us that we're, we're in this Art of Neighboring class because of what Jesus said was the greatest command for us. Think about that. A, a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you could, if you could take the, the Torah and the law and, every, and the, the words of the prophets, if you could sum it all up for me so I can stick it in my pocket, what would you say? And, and we know it because we mention it every morning, right? Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, right? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Give everything to God. And then what's the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of times we can think of that statement metaphorically, right? We think, well, I send money abroad to India or Brazil or Africa, and, and I go to the food kitchen and I serve people. I serve the homeless maybe, um, you know, once a year, three times a year, once a month even. And then overall, I'm just a good person, right? I don't, I don't cuss. I'm not addicted to anything. I'm I'm a nice, I'm, you know, I'm positive, I go to church, right? I'm, I'm loving my neighbor. But you see, when we think of loving our neighbor metaphorically, we have a metaphoric love, right? It, it doesn't translate the same way. What if, what if Jesus was onto something and he said to love our neighbor, he was talking about the people literally who live and sleep right next to us. Because if not us, who is going to reach these people? And what, and what kind of world would it look like if all the Christians literally loved their neighbors, literally. What kind of world would we have? And, and so that's part of why we're talking about this. Again, making the invisible visible in our life and talking about ways that we can be intentional in building meaningful relationships with these people. So in today's class, I wanna open us up with one of my favorite passages out of Philippians chapter two. Yeah, you can begin flipping your Bibles there because you're gonna to wanna to read these words with me there. They're so impactful of the power that we see in God coming down into our form, walking in our shoes, breathing our air, um, and, and the importance that that has with the posture that we take on. So again, Philippians chapter two, I'm just going to read starting in verse five through verse eight. So chapter two, starting in verse five, says, in your relationships with one another, relationships right here, relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, yes, even death on a cross. Jesus 
has the most important message to share with us, right? It's it's the most important message this world has ever heard. But one of the things I'm captured the most by in Jesus's life is the posture that he takes on as he delivers this message. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about Jesus, the, the son of man that we hear about in Daniel 7 that is sitting at the right hand of God who is looking down at his creation, who is with God in the beginning, Jesus comes down from that heavenly place to walk in our footsteps, to breathe our air, to walk in our shoes, to use our words so that he could walk with his creation, so that he could show his creation the path that he wanted them to take and so that he could ultimately save them. He loved us that much to walk at our level the kind of God that I want to follow. That's the kind of God that, that shows me he loves me. And we work the same way. I think being made in the image of God, we can work the same way. The posture or the motives, another word that will kind of interchange with posture, the motive or the posture that we take as we interact with other people, it has an impact on the type of relationship we're going to have with those people. It reminds me, reminds me of the story <laughs> that my, my, my buddy told me. He was going through some of the same material, the art of neighboring material. And he, he's telling me a story about, he began to get to know one of his neighbors. In fact, his neighbor was extremely excited to get to know somebody. And so my buddy's thinking, oh, this is great. I get to love my neighbor. And he actually wants <laughs> to enter into a relationship. And he's a cool guy. They had great conversations. Um, they both had families that they'd hang out together. And get this, the neighbor even invited my friend over to his house. So it's like, man, this is this is easy neighboring, right? I mean, I could do this thing. So he, they're at their house, and he tells me a story at their house one time. Having great conversation, great, just, I mean, just easy to be around. And then the conversation took a turn. A really weird turn. <laughs> And my buddy remembers this conversation. I don't know how you forget it. They're, they're standing across from the counter together, just having small talk. And this neighbor, he looks at my friend, and he says, I wonder what kind of knives you have. <laughs> uh, that question is never okay to just ask. So don't ever uh, inter- ask or lead with that kind of question. Uh, especially with all the, the weird serial killer documentaries we're starting to see on Netflix and TV and podcasts, right? Don't ask those kind of questions, right? And my, my friend is kind of taken aback, and then he's like, I don't know. And, and suddenly the conversation began talking about knives and the quality of knives and the sharpness of knives. And then here's the kicker. The neighbor goes into the sales pitch, and you can tell, right, the tone and the, the attentiveness and the memorization, Right. And he pulls out his display of knives and he begins trying to sell my friend his collection, what he's selling. And my friend will say, he remembers basically telling the neighbor, hey, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in what you're selling. And it's like, it's like a light, like a candle went out, a light switch went off in this neighbor's mind. And this guy meant, and my friend meant nothing to him anymore, right? The conversation ended there because he knew he's not going to get a sell from my friend. You know, the sad thing is, is that a lot of times Christians can do the same thing. And I'm not blaming anybody in this room. Uh, I'm actually can point at myself a lot here. 
is we enter into these relationships with a sales pitch in mind. We want to sell our neighbor into something. And then whenever we realize our friend or neighbor, whoever it is not interested, it's easy to, the light switch goes off. I remember talking to a non-Christian one time, having casual conversation. He, he basically said, yeah, I don't hang around Christians very often because I feel like they're always trying to sell me something. It's in a sad world whenever Christians are known for simply their sales pitches and not their love. And the thing is, is that we want people to enter into a loving relationship with Jesus, right? We, we ultimately, we want that. But the motives and the posture that we take on, that's what matters. And that's what people are going to sniff out from the very beginning. So let's talk about these motives, right? And I can basically break it down into two camps, right? The good camp and the bad camp. So let's talk about the bad camp first, right? And I call these are the ulterior motives, right? And you've heard that phrase before, right? Ulterior motive is something that is intentionally concealed, right? Ulterior motives, uh, I'm sorry, uh, ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It's when we do or say one thing in, in public, but we mean something else. We're leading them somewhere else in private. Think of the knife salesman. The conversation was great at the beginning. In fact, it looked genuine. But when you got into his kitchen and he could pull out his display, the conversation went a completely different direction. And then it was shut off just as quickly. It was a friendship with strings attached. And when you weren't interested in what was dangling, cut the string. So that's the ulterior motive. That's the negative motive. And now let's look at the positive. Okay, I always want to spend more time there. And that is the ultimate motive. And when you think of ultimate, I want you to imagine the furthest point of a journey. Okay, so we are here and we want to be there. Think of like a youth who wants to be a professional player someday in basketball or baseball or whatever it is, right? That is the ultimate goal and everything that they do is hopefully going to lead them there. But they are still present in the motive or in the, in the moment. All right, the ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. The ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel, but the ultimate motive is just that, to share the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives. And there's a difference. There's a difference between those two things. The agenda that we have to drop the agenda we need to drop in well-meaning is our well-meaning tendency to be friends with people for the sole purpose of converting them to our faith. Or said another way, people are not projects. People are people. People are not projects. People are people. And so many of us, we so desperately want to, to tell people and to convert them to our faith, but we want to do it at our own timetable, right? At our own pace. Right and, and with our own agenda, and so we we push it on people, and we try to we try to move them in this direction, and we know it's good for them. They just don't know it yet. So let's just let's just push them in that direction. And a lot of times we lose people in that process. Our hope and our dream is for all people to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. So sharing the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives is the right motive but it cannot be an ulterior motive in developing a relationship with them. Here, okay, and this maybe will help sum up what I'm trying to say. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. 
neighbor is because we have been converted. We love our neighbors to convert them. We don't love them so that they'll believe in Jesus. We love them because we believe in Jesus, because we have been converted, because we have first been loved. We've been called to share that love with people. And ultimately, we want to lead them to Jesus by that love. So here's some things that maybe you can do. Instead of sharing your story first, instead of sharing your faith or your tactics or for entering into your sales pitch first, try listening to people. Try hearing their story. Take on a posture of humbling yourself and wanting to walk at their pace. Does that sound familiar? Of a God who wants to lead us, who who could very easily just put us where he wants us, who could push the agenda on us, but instead he comes down to our level. He feels our pain. Breathes our air. He takes on our limitations. He says, come, follow me. Let me love you where you're at. And ultimately, let me guide you to where I want you to be. And there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of reasons that people don't share our, we don't share our story. Okay, so as we, as we begin entering into these relationships and their meaningful relationships, there's a lot of reasons that the people around us don't ever hear our story. Let's break it down into three main region, reasons. One is it never comes up, right? You think, okay, well, I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about bigger than life things. I want to talk about philosophy or what happens when we die or morality and where's the base of morality. I want to talk about these big subject things, but no one ever talks about it. And what I'll say is maybe that's not a sign of the people you're hanging out with. Maybe that's an arrow pointing back to you. Because if we're not expecting these people we're not expecting people who don't know about God or don't know about Jesus or don't know about salvation. If we don't expect them to know about it, then why do we expect them to bring it up in conversation? Why do we expect them to ask the question first? Do they even know you're a Christian? Do they even know that you have these kind of answers? Maybe it's our responsibility to be bringing it up, to be engaging in these conversations, not in a blunt way, not in a forceful way, but in a casual way. Maybe that's easier for some than others. A second reason is that a lot of people, they don't know where to start in their story, right? It's like, okay, well, do I, do I start in Jesus, like in, in the gospels and the story of Jesus? Or do I, do I point people towards Paul? And do I take on that apologetic approach and trying to prove and, and exemplify the, uh, the divinity of Jesus? So which one do I start with? Or do I get my kids to interact with their kids and begin a conversation there? Or do I just go straight for the adults and invite them over to my house? And, um, you know, and there's all of these different directions. Do we just start at the beginning of the book and just start reading through the Bible and start talking about that? Where do I start? And honestly, I would say I can't give you an answer. Every situation is different. The one advice I can give you is maybe start where it's most natural which sounds like a cop-out answer, but a lot of times we don't look there first, right? We try to um, impose it on people and say, well, let's just start at the beginning of the book because we're beginning something. Or just start in Jesus. Let's, let me tell you about Jesus's life. And we don't just start where it's natural, where it naturally fits in. It reminds me of Tracy's sermon last week when he's talking about Philip and the eunuch. And Philip is just walking along, obviously being led by the Spirit, but he's walking along and he hears somebody 
talking from Isaiah. And so he decides, I'm going to enter into this interaction because I see a window and I'm going to jump through it. And that eventually leads to deeper conversations and eventually leads to this eunuch taking on Christ in baptism. But it all began with seeing an opportunity and seizing it. So where are those opportunities in your life? That's where you should start. And then finally, number three is a lot of people are afraid they won't have the right things to say, right? Is there, you know, I'm going to enter into a conversation about Jesus and then they're going to come back with a comment and then I'm going to be dumbfounded. In fact, I'm going to give a bad name to Christianity because I'm going to just butcher the message. Well, maybe you could also potentially be given a bad name to Christianity because you're not talking about it. That's not mean to be hateful or hurtful to you um, because I do it all the time. But if we have the greatest message ever told for every person, then shouldn't we be screaming it from our rooftops? Um, as we kind of mentioned last week, shouldn't we be talking about it more? And by not thinking you have the right things to say, I feel like we often can belittle the power of the spirit. Luke, Luke talks about this in chapter 12, verse 12. He says, in the right moments, the Spirit will give you the right things to say. And learning to trust and lean into that Spirit, knowing we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to get it all right at the beginning. I mean, even Peter didn't get it all right in the beginning. He made mistakes all the way through his life, all the way through his ministry. Even though he walked with Jesus, he made mistakes. But he kept trying and he kept pushing. And eventually people will look at him and think, how did somebody so ordinary speak so boldly about something? Remarkable. Sometimes fear comes because we're too focused on sharing and we're not focused enough on listening. And if we simply could just ask somebody, what's your journey? What's your story? Where are you coming from? And we take on a posture of actually listening, of actually wanting to enter into a meaningful conversation with them. We realize this is not manipulative. This is how conversations work because as we show interest in them and we want to pour into their life, if they can trust us and we have built a relationship with us, they will begin asking the same questions of us. And we trust as Christians that that is when the Spirit can work inside them. We are interested in other people. We should be interested in other people because we know we can learn something from them as well. They believe just as passionately, be, uh, passionately about what they believe in, just as much as we believe in what we believe in. So if you're going to walk away with anything, right, ulterior motives and ultimate motives about Jesus humbling himself, about walking alongside people, about all of this stuff that we've talked about in these few short minutes, it's this, is that people are not projects. That's what I want you to remember. People are not projects. People are people. And they're, they're worthy of the same attention and love as you are. Don't take on these relationships because they're a project that you want to tick off. Take on these relationships because you love these people because you have been loved. These people, they laugh, they cry, they doubt, they put their faith in things just like we do. Love them like people. Begin forming relationships with your neighbors. Be sure to examine your motives throughout the entire process. Are you entering into relationships to convert people to your faith? Are you entering into relationships because you have been converted? Because you have been loved? And you want to share that love with other people? And that 
is the art of neighboring. So this is session four. We have two more sessions after this class. We're now going to take the remainder of our class. We might get out early, which is great. Get some coffee or hang out for a little bit. Um, but we do want to spend some intentional time here at the end of class talking about how your neighboring has gone. Right? Take out your, as Sonia said, Sonia, I'm going to pick on you again. Right? As Sonia says, our tic-tac-toe sheet, right? that your house is in the middle, Where, how is that filled out? How have these conversations gone? Have you noticed more of your neighbors in the life that they're living? Are you taking this seriously? And I hope you are, because I believe, and, and I think Jesus was onto something when he said that by loving our neighbors, we become better at loving God into the mission that he ultimately has I like him we're so blessed we really are <clears throat> by the way I don't think of it as a tic-tac-toe sheet Sonia it looks more like a bingo sheet to me but you know with the free space in the middle of your house. Um, no, wow, some great things he talked about there. Before we, you know, talk about our, our tic-tac-toe sheets, is there anything from this video that just really stuck out to you, something that you just felt like, you know, I, I needed to hear this. This is something, or I just think this is important. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one thing to, to go around and talk about, um, hey, Gail Mitchell, how are you doing? Did y'all know Gail was here? Good to see you. <laughs> um, sorry, just threw me off. So good to see you. Uh, no, I, I think, you know, listen, people need to know how, how Jesus Christ has changed our own lives, you know? It's good to tell people you need Jesus in your own life. Um, but we just, we see this in the idea of discipleship is the fact that, that my life has been changed, right? And I, and I think that's, um, that's really important. You know, what I'm going to deal with in today's sermon, uh, I thought, you know, I could use here with our, uh, our tic-tac-toe sheets. And does any of those neighbors around you, do you find them as being difficult, even hostile towards God? You want to share? I'm looking at you, Sister Van Heusen. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we, we know the verse about loving your neighbor, and then it seems to sometimes, you all often sometimes have that neighbor where it's like, oh, wait, I think this is the one about loving your enemies. <laughs> Anybody have a neighbor that's like, they, they just, and you don't have to give names, but that they're just kind of like an enemy to you? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, listen, I've lived in my neighborhood and starting March, it'll be 10, 10 years. And I know most of my neighbors, we've actually seen some end up coming here at times and um, and we've worked with, with certain ones, but there is one neighbor, and they're right beside me, and it's the third neighbor who's lived in this house, and they are just 
I just, I, it, they're difficult. Um, and they don't see that, how they're difficult. Um, you know, I, we're, we're past the, the part where we have little kids outside and, you know, you know we, we, we've had a neighbor get upset with us before. I actually lived in that house before. Um, and, you know, my kids were out there late at night in the pool with some of their friends and, and they were loud. My kids even said we were. We were loud and they apologized and this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, those are, those are going to happen and you just, you, you do. But then there's some, it's like, you know, it's like I don't even understand, you know. Um, and, and we've had things where, you know, a light bulb has been unscrewed outside of our house because they didn't like where that light was and, uh, you know, and, and complain because, you know, because their dog and our dog run back and forth on the fence playing and, and, and just, you know, when they do that, you know, bring, got to bring ours in or they'll fuss at our dog or whatever it is. And it's just like, I mean, it's just too, I mean, they're, they're just playing, you know, you, you can tell dogs that are mad at each other and want to get at each other's throat. And then there are those that are just, they just like seeing each other. They, they run along the fence and it's just, and and there are things at times I could I could definitely I could I could definitely have done, um, you know, because they they have parties a lot in their backyard a lot, and and uh, I could I could probably call the police on them a couple of times because you know they're they're being so loud and so rambunctious at times, or I can call you yes, and. So what I'm saying is, there are those we have, and, and for you it may not be your neighbor, right? It may be somebody you work with. I can't say that because I work here, you know, so. Uh, but, but it could be, you know, a family member. It could be someone else, and they're just really difficult. And, and it goes to, you know, well, what do you do? And in and, and, and some instance, you know, um, well, first of all, if they're hostile towards God and and Christianity and things like that, and they just have, they just don't want to hear it from you, um, you know, that can make things that can make things difficult. And we've had a neighbor who lived in that same house, and and we were uh, had a real good relationship with them, and I, you know, would talk to them. They knew what I did, and I would even talk to them and say, hey, listen, we got this going on this weekend. We'd love to have you come with us or things like that. And, you know, it's like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I've, I've had a parent at a ballpark before tell me, listen, uh, just please don't, don't sit here and try to convert me. Um, I just, I'm not going to do that. And, and we have, a, I think, a good relationship, but when it comes down to this kind of stuff, they just, they just kind of let, let you know. And these are, not even, these are not even pushing kind of things like, listen, you need to be in church, you know, kind of thing. Um, so we, we have those people. Anybody else have difficult? Yes. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about that in my uh, life group um, Wednesday night. We, we talked well, a couple of ours are trying to, to reach out to people and, and they're very difficult and very hostile towards Jesus and they may believe in God or a higher being or things like that but they just are very hostile towards Jesus 
Um, and, and to go along that same thing, uh, when I was in Nashville, I had a neighbor, and he, and he was the first one came in, the first house when you, when you come in, and I would wave to him. He never waved. And I thought, man, this guy, I found out later he was, he was legally blind. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, this guy is, <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, there may be, there may be a, good, a good thing. Yeah. And listen, you're, you're going to run into that. And it's easy to say, well, they just want an excuse. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they had a bad experience. They had a bad experience. Yes. But, but, but that's also kind of the concept of, of what we, uh, we, can, we can put out there, that we are perfect. And if there's one thing we're not, we're not perfect. Now, we should, be, we should be growing and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's, it's a beautiful picture that, that is given there, this idea of fruit, you know. And, and, and we continue to grow in God, and we continue to grow in the Spirit of God. Uh, but, but we're not perfect. We're just not. And if, and, and if you are... Um, we're going to crucify you, <laughs> more than likely. I hope you're raised from the dead, because there's only been one that's been perfect. And, and you know, Peyton even mentioned up there, Peter. And Peter, listen, you wait till we get next week. You just wait till we get into the sermon next week with Peter. Man, it's like Peter, all this stuff, and you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And, and, it's, and it's a good indication for us that if Peter doesn't get it, Sometimes we don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Peyton has talked before about his neighborhood when he was in um, Oklahoma, and I think there was a drug dealer lived right there, right across the street and things like that. Those are difficult. Those are, those are difficult neighbors. Those are difficult people in our lives. And one thing is, I think there are opportunities that we can reach them or at least have an opportunity. And the opportunity is not when everything's going well in their life. It, there, it happens, and we're going to see this with Saul. Saul, and Saul, would you think Saul ever would have become a disciple of Jesus had it not been he is just brought to his knees? And, and there are times, and, and listen, let me ask you this. So you have, you have a bad neighbor, okay? They cause you all kinds of havoc and all kinds of problems. And then all of a sudden, there's a tragedy that they have in their life, something bad in their life. What is it that is, is an automatic or at least a, uh, a fleshly response to that? What's that? What? No, that's, that's a spiritual response. <laughs> What's the fleshly response? When somebody who's been so difficult on you and something bad happens to them in their life, what's the fleshly response? It's about time. You know what? They had it coming to them. And, and it's very easy to want to pull back and pull away from that and say, you know what? You know, let them smolder. Yes. Right. 
And, and let me say this before we get to that. You know, that's one of the reasons we, we chose Acts. I mean, because Luke just gives us these narratives over and over again of, of these. It's like the today's that we're going to look at. It's a completely different scenario. And this is a scenario of someone who not only was a difficult neighbor, but wanted to kill his neighbor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and so, no, that's an excellent point. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. If you don't know, she just took us through the New Testament. <laughs> no, it's excellent. It's really good. I need a writing team for my sermons. I just need to throw you. Of course, you, you may get us through the first Sunday and we'll be done with the Bible. But uh, no, no, excellent, excellent stuff. Um, but here's what we're going to find with, with in the sermon today. And I think as we talk about these people in our lives, when they are knocked to their knees, people are much more humble to be receptive. It doesn't mean they'll receive it. It doesn't even mean they're going to say, I don't want to hear it. But they are going to be much more apt at that moment in their life, I believe. And, and, it, and it's also exactly what Peyton was saying as well. This is not a, okay, we're going to wait them out and then we're going to go in there with our Bibles. How do we serve people when they are humbled to the ground? It's easy to want that, that neighbor that's difficult if they find some kind of tragedy that is in their life to think, ha, well, it's about time. Or I can look at that and say, how can, how can I serve this person? Even though they've been so difficult, how now can I help them in that tragedy? How can I help them in that fear or that pain that they're dealing with in their, their lives? And there's doors that begin to open in ways that only God can open a door.